Midlands Today, thanks to Tullamore Motors Opal, home of the new Opal Astra, Continental Tires Irish Compact Car of the Year 2023. Available to order now. Visit us on Church Road, Tullamore for more. When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. How are you today? Why isn't she on a front page newspaper this morning? Anne Delaney from County Leash, just 47 years of age, originally from Cretty Yard, and a former nurse who had fallen on hard times, found dead on Anger Street in Dublin. And uh, a vigil was held, and obviously a lot of people wanted to express their solidarity with her family. By all accounts, she was very close with her mum, she was very close with her daughter. And there are cracks in the system through which she fell, unfortunately. We heard earlier how she's not alone, that there are so many people availing of soup kitchens in Dublin and indeed elsewhere. And as news of her death spread on social media, there were many flowers and candles laid at the spot where she used to sleep. This wasn't just a woman who spent one night on the street after a row. This was somebody who, unfortunately, had fallen into a pattern of chronic difficulty. And the reasons for her difficulties, we don't need to know. That doesn't need to be public. But what is important is it has highlighted a failure. Somebody who had a perfectly normal job. She was a nurse. And think of all the people she would have helped and supported through their illnesses and their difficulties. And when she fell on hard times, the supports were insufficient. And so she has passed away at just 47 years of age. How do we fix that? What do we do? Anyway, more on that a little bit later. Her story is covered in some of the newspapers today. For instance, the Irish Independent. But it's not front page. All right, what else is happening around the region and around the world? Well, I'll tell you what's coming up today first. Joe Lyons from County Offaly, successful golfer who very nearly lost his trophy thanks to Ryanair, but he's also getting it back thanks to Ryanair. The plan to abstract water from the River Shannon, pipe it all the way to Dublin. We've been talking about it for years and the can has been kicked. But today, the Cabinet might finally make a decision on this. We'll tell you the arguments for and against. And Westmeath County Council losing over half a million euro of taxpayers' money through an invoice fraud. There was a monthly meeting yesterday. All the elected members were there. Did it come up? Was there much information given? All of that in just over an hour's time. Now, when you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Front of the Irish Times today. Ukrainian refugees urged to return for war effort. So, according to the foreign minister who has been interviewed in the Irish Times, Kiev is going to draft fresh troops into its army. Uh, 
It also has an economic problem after two years of war with Russia. So it needs some of its people to come home. And the foreign minister says, we respect the individual choice of every person who has left the country since the beginning of the invasion, but we would urge them to consider coming home. Moving to the Irish Independent, plans to abolish the television licence in doubt as Martin faces backlash, that being Catherine Martin as opposed to Micheál Martin, the media minister who had tried to push this through with her government colleagues in the past, the notion that the licence fee should be replaced by direct exchequer funding. Fianna Fáil, in particular, resisting that now after this RTE crisis. Well, not just a single crisis, it has lurched from one crisis to another crisis, from one controversy to another controversy. And the latest is that she's going to appear before the Oireachtas Media Committee to try and answer questions over her role in the resignation of RTE chairperson Shuan Nirahali. And who will replace Miss Nirahali? Apparently we'll find out in the next week or so. That seems to be the timetable. Um, let's go inside the papers. Is there a bit of good news, perhaps, that we can draw upon today? Um, well, there is, for instance, uh, the prospect of some serious butt-kicking for the government in the European elections, which take place in June, and there's some analysis here by Adrian Kavanagh, well-known in County Leash as a lecturer in politics and geography, and he's based in Maynooth University, and he is expecting a drubbing for Fine Gael with Sinn Féin to pick up seats, and in particular, he's also thinking that Padder Tobin of Aintu may just get that final seat, that extra seat, in the Midlands Northwest constituency. That's in the Irish Times if you want to read his full forecast. The Irish Independent introduces you to Paula Byrne from County Leash. Paula isn't embarrassed about her periods, she says. I could talk to the Pope about periods and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. But it wasn't always like that. And I think there is still a taboo of sorts. And it's a taboo that she wants to erase. So she has uh, a blog and it's appleblossomholistic.ie and she describes herself as a menstrual educator having grown up in a society that really didn't talk very much to girls about this. And it doesn't always go to plan. If endometriosis, for instance, kicks in, then it's a very painful experience every month during a woman's fertile life. And so she argues that a holistic and a mindful approach to period education is needed. So if you've got an interest, Irish Independent, and you can read Paula's views in full. Here's a very sad story. 42 years of age and staring down the barrel of motor neuron disease. The Independent also introduces you to Carol Liston O'Connor from Limerick. She was a secondary school teacher who started to notice her balance wasn't quite as it should be. Then she became tired and eventually full-on fatigued. So she went to her GP in 2022, that November, and following that she was diagnosed with motor neurons and she only wishes that she had acted sooner if she had 
had those symptoms investigated 12 months earlier, not that the disease can be reversed, there isn't a successful treatment at the moment, although we are getting close to it, but it would have been managed better and it would have been slowed. So her message is it's not just a disease of men in their late 50s and 60s, it can strike younger people and women as well. And she, unfortunately, looks at a short runway ahead and five children from 11 down to four being left behind. So puts your problems in perspective, doesn't it? Was Toyota right to bet on hybrid cars all along? The Irish Times concludes, yes, actually. Toyota annoyed a lot of customers a few years ago when they stopped selling diesels. They were one of the first brands to do so. And they didn't go all out on the full electric car either. So they were pleasing neither the environmentalists nor some of the traditional customers. But instead, they invested heavily in hybrids. And it seems to be paying off now. For instance, Adam Jones, who is an analyst at Morgan Stanley and confidently predicted that fully electric models would quickly extinguish the hybrids, he says, I owe Toyota an apology. And it seems Toyota's bottom line is starting to improve as more and more people who aren't ready to take the plunge on a full electric are considering hybrids. So, and... I think Toyota probably led the way when you consider the Prius. And the Prius must be around 20 years at this stage. So they're still betting on hybrid technology for the immediate future, at least. Now, one or two other stories. If you're not necessarily looking for an electric car, but you would consider an e-bike or an e-scooter, the Gorthy are going to be testing to make sure these scooters are following regulations. For instance, the power and the maximum speed are supposed to be limited under new regulations. The Road Traffic and Roads Act of 2023 gives power to the Gorthy to take illegal bikes and scooters off the road. So the Gorthy are looking at testing equipment that's being used in Holland, for instance, that will allow on uh, the roadside checks to see if a bike has been doctored because they can be hacked and the power increased. And if that's the case, the vehicle will be seized. So expect to see them with these benches in the not-too-distant future. Slouching isn't bad for you, despite what your parents and what your teacher and what everybody slagged you about growing up. Dr Chris McCarthy is a spine specialist and he works at Harley Street in London, no less, very posh. He says back or neck pain is unlikely to be caused by bad posture. He says back pain is more likely to be linked with how stressed you are or how physically active you are. So his advice to office workers, for instance, is to take regular breaks to walk. Ugh. Ah, and to stretch ah, that's his message if you've got back pain moving rather than being sedentary that's my goodness Ronan Berry of Taking Care of Business has come in in the most awful looking jacket known to mankind heavens above thank god he works on the radio 
Anyway, final story for you today. If you're planning uh, to look at all of the election literature from government and from opposition over the next couple of months, and Lord knows your letterbox is going to be inundated between local election candidates and European election candidates and probably before the end of the year, general election candidates. Well, the government is going to hire, wait for this, 38 workers to break down complicated jargon. So they want to make it easier to understand what is happening with your local educational training boards, your health services, your community supports. They uh, finally admit that the language used in public sector on, on, on council websites and in all manner of different uh, bodies is just inappropriate. And do you know something? I always thought they did that deliberately because if they obfuscated, that's the word I think, obfuscated, it would make it easier to hide inefficiencies and bad jobs. Anyway, 38 people breaking down complicated jargon. There's a job for you this morning. 27 minutes past nine, and still on the agenda today, the death of a county leash woman on the streets of Dublin. How did she fall through? Not the cracks, as one listener says, but the canyons in the system. And uh, after half past ten, let's go out in the garden with Anya O'Mara. And lots of questions already from the last occasion. If you want to add yours to the list, 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. And fair play going out in the garden today because it's only seven degrees. Just after half past nine, I want to wish huge congratulations to Joe Lyons. Joe is originally from County Offaly, and he won the Spanish Seniors Amateur Open at the Real Club in uh, the Sevilla Resort on Sunday. So, as you can imagine, he was absolutely thrilled and tickled pink to have the trophy to bring home here to Ireland. Morning, Joe. Good morning, uh, James. How are you? I'm good, and the name's Will, but I, oh, I sorry, forgive you. Wait, oh, sorry, oh, so, I got to stress. Sorry, excuse me, you're, Will. You're, 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 you're grand. You're grand. Um, I know a James, and he's a nice guy, so I don't take it as an insult. <laughs> Tell us about the game. It obviously went very well. Ah, uh, yeah. No, to be, I went out to Spain looking to play... It was first event of the season, and uh, you know, I I suppose I've just recently started playing seniors golf the last couple of years, and you know, I've been reasonably competitive, I suppose, at men's amateur golf down the years. But I suppose I, as I, I got older, you know, good performance for me at some of the men's events was finishing, you know, play really well. I might finish in the top ten, whereas once I hit fifty and started playing the seniors championships. If I play well, I have a chance of winning. So mm. it's nice to be having a chance. It's nice to have a chance to win things again. So um, yeah, so kind of the Spanish seniors open as the first event of the season. So we went out there, and uh, you know, despite the, the, the only the, the only downside the is we have to accept that we're aging when we enter senior yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it was like a new lease of life to me, to be honest. So while well, you know, it probably is. It does mean that we're aging, but I suppose by having that, I suppose lucky that golf promotes uh, competition for its senior citizens, and it kind of motivates you to keep going and 
hopefully it'll stand me in good stead in the long term and just I keep active and just say it's just, that's quite important as you head towards old age. So um yeah, no, I'm enjoying my golf. It's great, yeah. Now, there may be some listeners who are wondering, did they just tune into the Inside Line, our, our sports programme on a Sunday? No, this is Midlands Today, and there's a reason we're talking to Joe, um, not just about his success, um, but in particular, the trophy. Tell us what it looks like. Yeah, it's just a small trophy. It's a, it was a, it's a replica trophy um, uh, that you get to keep. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's a pretty standard trophy to it. It's not what you'd call an expensive trophy by any manner of means, but it was nice to receive it in recognition of your achievement. It just says Spanish uh, Seniors Champion 2024 on the base of it. And would it be small enough to fit in your hand luggage on well, a Ryanair was, it, plane, for instance? <laughs> well, it wasn't actually. That was the problem. Um, so... You know, I won the event on Sunday afternoon. Um, had it, you know, and we we had timed it so we'd fly out pretty much after the event. So, went straight from the presentation ceremony to the airport, got to the Ryanair check-in desk. I was checking in my golf bags and and carry-on luggage, and you know, I had the trophy there with me at that stage. But nobody suggested that I couldn't bring it on, bring it through, and bring it on the plane at that point. So, because a lot of people asked, well, why didn't you just check it on with your baggage? Mm. I would have if I, if I if I felt I had to. So, anyways, went through went through security. Nobody, none of the security officers had any issue with me bringing it on. And when I got to the gate to board the plane, um, we're just about to go on the plane, and we're more or less nearly the last in the queue to get on the plane. So, the the the, the uh, staff just said, "Look, you can't bring that on the plane." And I was kind of like, "Well, why not?" And they were, "Well, it's part of our baggage policy; it has to fit in your 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 hand luggage." So my wife was with me, so we tried to put the cup into my wife's uh, uh, backpack, and sure, it wouldn't it wouldn't fit. Now she had a bigger backpack than me; it would fit in her pa- backpack, but. We couldn't close the zips in it, so they said, "Well, if you can't close the zips, it's not going to. You can't bring it with you." So, yeah, they are the sticklers for the range. rules, especially at the yeah. Spanish boarding gate for some reason. Yeah, so I got a bit irate at that stage and said, "You know what? Just keep the trophy." And uh, so then they kind of said, "Well, we can't keep it." And I was like, "Well, you're not letting me bring it on the plane. I have to go home. What, what do you want? What do you want us to do?" And they said, "Well, we can't keep it here." I said, "If you leave that here, we're going to throw it in the bin." So hang on, so they didn't even give you an option to charge you to no, bring it on board? they didn't. No, I must say that the, the the girls that were at the boarding gate, they were quite young. I imagine they were very inexperienced. They were just... I don't want to be running down Ryanair because, to be fair, they've responded pretty quickly and they're, 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 they're going to have the trophy in Galway this evening. So, and, <laughs> OK, but, you know, but for a fair, time there you were faced of, with having it just thrown in the bin. <laughs> Well, that was the, that 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 was the that was the response from the staff, and uh, at that point I got a bit irate, so I just took a picture of the photograph and I said, "Do what you like with it." I'm going home, and I turned around and I walked down the I walked down the the, the gangway to the plane, and I suppose I've been lucky enough in that I've won quite a few trophies, and I don't mean to say this in a bragging manner, but I've been lucky enough in that I have won a few trophies down the years. Um, playing golf and have trophies in the house here but like and winning the event like it was all about the experience I had a great week met with friends 
you know, people have been competing against and with for years, making new friends from across, like those guys from all over Europe playing in the event. Uh, hospitality was great, had a brilliant week, and certainly, you know, obviously you want to bring your trophy home, you want to have yeah, it. Yeah, like, it's a memory and it's a symbol. It, and it, exactly, it, it means something to you, even if yeah. it didn't particularly mean anything to them. So what happened in the end? Well, in, in, what happened in the end really was I took a photo of the... I took a photo of the trophy sitting on the, at the boarding gate and uh, I turned around and said, look, I'm going home. And that was it, really. Like, And uh, we headed down the... Um, down the gang went to the plane and I posted the uh, I posted the photo of the trophy on on Twitter or X or whatever you call it and, and Facebook and then yes so it was late enough flight we, we were flying at half eight or so and we got into Cork around half ten and then I drove to Galway after getting home but the uh so I posted this online. So I woke up yesterday morning, and my phone was <laughs> was blowing up. I had, uh, and all day yesterday, I had um, people uh, texting me and ringing me about the cup. And there was a big effort yesterday to try and retrieve the cup. And Ryanair, to be fair to them, got onto me yesterday evening and said, "Look, we put a, we're going to get it on a flight from Seville this evening and we will courier it to go away uh, tomorrow. And I had a phone call actually only 15 minutes ago from the courier service in Dublin to say that it'll be at my house this evening sometime between 5 and 8. Well, all's well that ends well, I suppose. But Absolutely. The, the lesson the lesson for Ryanair, I suppose, is to make sure the staff are as experienced as possible when it comes to situations like that. And I, I know maybe that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose they have a lot of staff working across across Europe and they, they um, you know, they're quite inexperienced, I, I, I would suggest. And, like, to be fair to Ryanair, whatever they're, they're, you know, I know we all like to give them a good kick in every now and then and they do get a lot of bad press. And, you know, maybe... Like, I've, I I couldn't help myself but called about for what happened on Sunday evening because it was a bit irate at the time. But, like, at the same time, I don't think we'd be flying around, you know, they brought international uh, international travel to the masses and I think they need to be recommended, you know, commended for that, really, I suppose. But I suppose... Uh, <laughs> I suppose it wasn't so magnanimous on, on Sunday evening and... Uh, uh, at the, at that moment in time, like a bit of common sense goes a long way, I suppose, really. and that's just that's where I was coming from, really. Joe, congratulations again, and uh, we're not the least bit jealous that you managed to get away to the sun and win a golf tournament at the same time. <laughs> so, thank you very much for taking our call today. Th- thank you, Will. I th- appreciate the call. Thank you. Joe Lyons from County Offaly originally, uh, now living in Galway. And uh, for the record, the um, reigning Irish seniors uh, close champion and also the Spanish seniors amateur open champion, which he won by four strokes, in case you're curious about the result. The Irish Times sets out arguments for and against the abstraction of water from the River Shannon to supply communities and businesses across the Midlands, extending all the way to Dublin. And 
if in case this is giving you a sense of deja vu, it's not a new debate by any means. It has been discussed for close to the last 20 years, if not longer. However, the Cabinet will meet today and this item is on the agenda to finally have a decision rather than the can continually being kicked. Now, I'm going to be simplistic. The arguments for doing this are that demand has reached a point where Irish Water or Ishke Aaron can no longer supply new connections in some areas. And in doing so, it's going to scupper business, residential and other forms of economic growth. However, that doesn't change the concerns in the Partine Basin and elsewhere on the River Shannon. So I'd like you to meet Liam Finnegan. And Liam, you might tell us a little bit about your background and where you're coming from in this argument. Good morning. Good, good morning. Well, my, my background is on, on Lockery, beside Lockery. I've been boating all my life, 55 years, between boat, uh, row boats, lake boats, um, cruisers, commercial hotel barge, search and recovery, all that kind of thing. So I've been uh, water on the brain, as I, as I say earlier, you know. Um, what, the angle that we're coming from, apart from the extraction of water, is the whole uh, Waterways Ireland uh, bylaws that are being introduced. Okay? Hmm. There's there's pretty um, draconian laws being brought in uh, to to uh, manage the Shannon and the canals. Right? For example, what I would say is an afloat tax. An afloat tax, which really, if you put your boat on the water for a day or a year, you'll pay 200 euros. Plus, you'll pay insurance and other things. Probably cost you 500 euros a year. When some people would use the boat maybe for five days a year. In a corporate landlord kind of yes. draconian laws. Liam, I apologise. The line is a little bit choppy. If you can move a tiny bit, the signal may improve. Uh, okay. While you're doing that, some listeners may find this topic familiar because we talked some months ago to inland waterways to uh, also some boat owners and concerned groups about the initial draft of the bylaws. And the impression we were given by inland waterways was that, or Waterways Ireland, I should say, um, is that this was, I suppose, an evolving document that it wouldn't necessarily be set in stone uh, on the first draft. So there's still room to adjust it, or, or so they said. Is that correct? Well, there would have been there would have been uh, no adjustment made at all. It would have been a fait accompli now today. Only for we got uh, we got uh, the whole thing onto the agenda of the the Oireachtas Housing, Local Government, and Heritage Committee, and they have they grilled Waterways Ireland there in uh, September, and we were in there as witnesses as well, given our side of it. And uh, the, the committee were not happy with uh, the process that was undertaken for consultation, etc., and many other things. So they asked for an extension. So the extension ran until um, late October instead. And they came back then with new bylaws uh, on the 15th of January. They were they were they were uh, announced, but really very little change. A couple of things on the Shannon. To, uh, I believe um, sacrificial land, you know, that were put in there that could be pulled out uh, in a second draft anywhere. 
kind of crazy things like there was going to be no winter mooring allowed. Can you imagine the tens of millions of an, of investment in public jetties and marinas the whole length of the Shannon system? There was going to be nobody allowed to birth in them for five months of the year, almost half the year. So that was a red herring put in there to pull it to make look good later. And then there are towns, South Portumna and various places, and indeed North Carcassonne and uh, places like that, Leitrim Village, who created themselves into um, a tourist destination on the Shannon. And they, were, they got so busy that uh, facilities weren't, weren't uh, the, the, the provision of facilities didn't really meet the demand. And they were going to have a three-day rule. You're really being blacklisted for getting off your bus and working hard to create a business in your town. So them two were pulled out in the second um, draft. But the afloat tax of €200 Euros per year. Now, we have always paid Waterways Ireland for services that we, that we acquire off them. For example, going through a lock, a bridge lift, winter moorings, etc., etc., etc. And they charged for that up to 2019. And COVID came, they stopped taking money. And they decided that they would then bring in this thing to replace it. Now, they were taking 90,000 a year. And by their own figures, this new tax of 200 a year would bring in 1.8 million instead of 90,000, a 2,000% increase. So it's a corporate landlord. You, you put your foot or your boat in the water for an hour a day, you'll pay us 200 euros. We control everything now. But isn't that, there a that, challenge, that on, and I'm conscious Waterways Ireland aren't here to represent themselves, right. but isn't there a challenge in maintaining not just the canals uh, in terms of dredging uh, mm-hmm. and the ecological obligations that go with that, but also the mooring sites uh, to upgrade them, to eventually have better tourism amenities than we have at the moment. And in order to fund that, Irish uh, inland waterways could take uh, either central exchequer funding or broaden the tax base in effect by doing as they've suggested in this document and levying more of the cost on the people who use the waterways as opposed to those who don't. Right. So this body was set up after the Good Friday Agreement. The St. Andrew's Agreement actually set them up, an all-island entity. And they're totally funded by the Irish government and by the Northern Ireland Assembly, right? And there is no question or any problem uh, about cutbacks there. They have been fully funded on both sides of the border, okay? So it's not a question of that at all. It's to try to become a revenue-raising body. Now, we are, we're not like a political party in the North who wants to say no, no, no. We put forward alternatives. This 200 euros a float tax. No. We say for people who want to cruise extensively on the Shannon and have the money and where it ought to do it, good luck to them. 100 euros per year will give you all lock passage and bridges, etc., etc. Okay? Did you say for the 100 guy who euros? Doesn't, 100, 100 euros yeah. per year. But importantly, this is attached to a service we get. It's not an afloat tax just to exist on the water. You know, see, I live in the middle of Lockery. <laughs> I, 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 I hear where you're going, but I, I imagine many yeah. homeowners will remember when property tax was introduced a decade or so ago, and they were told this is to fund council services. 
Yeah. And there were any additional council services provided? Um, Correct. Correct. Well, no, but, but we're happy to pay the hundred euros per year, but it's attached to services that we get. We get bridge lift. We get this, mm. that, as in the old days. But we're we're upping that. It was one euro twenty to go through the locks. We're saying take 100 euros off people who want to cruise extensively. But for the guy who lives and doesn't go through a lock and doesn't require any service of Waterways Ireland, you should get about five passages through a lock for, for the year free of charge. By the way, angling boats, you know, use the water more than anybody. And they are totally exempt from this. You know, so there's only a small section of the boating community. Now, that's on the river. Go, go to the canals in Tullamore and Dublin. That's a bigger issue altogether. You have a situation where the charges were 126 euros, in other words, 100 old pounds. That's going up 10 and 20 fold now for to exist as a liveaboard on the Shannon or on, on the canals. Remember, we're in a housing crisis and people, not maybe by choice, they end up on the river or on the canals living because they can't afford housing. And they will go up from 126 from Salins, Lower Town, up that area, up to €2,000 per year just to exist on the side of the canal in Salins and Lower Town, a place like that. Mm. How can anybody justify a 2,000% increase in charges? It's not, it's not logical, you know, to jump like that. We're, we're again saying, by all means, put up the price a little bit, but be realistic about what you're coming from. You're going to make people homeless. And at a meeting in Mullingar with Waterways Ireland, it was put to them that this, these charges on the canals will make people homeless. And the reply was, homeless is not our issue. I thought, in my innocence... Is that a direct was quote? Everybody's, or is that it, paraphrasing? That, that's a direct, co- a direct quote. And you're talking about people... I, I thought, in my innocence, that, that the housing crisis was, was uh, a problem for everybody in the country. Mm. was seemingly not water retirement. And we put it to them, an old man living near Salins, a pensioner, how was he going to go from 126 to 2,000? Oh, we'll give him an alternative site. Push him out of town to a grassy bank, an old man, where he's out of county with his carers, he's further from the shops and all that. So it's ruthless. And then there's a 25-kilometre loop in Dublin on the canals from Castlenock, called the Twelfth Lock, right round into the city and out the Grand Canal, out towards you to the Twelfth Lock. They want to basically block, block off that and allow you in under strict controls, get in and get out. They won't allow any more moorings, any more liverboards, when there's plenty of place for them. You know, a corporate landlord... They're they're probably looking at the value of such moorings. um, Well, put put it like this. Vulture funds buy up large apartment blocks and can leave them empty for six months. And it puts up the price because the market is so tight. If you block off 25 kilometres of possible mooring for liverboards, like other cities do in the world... What are you going to do? You're driving up the small the the, the, um, the price of the small number of liverboards in Grand Canal Dock. You're controlling the market. Yeah, well, it's basic supply and demand laws. Correct. Correct. So that's a you know my my mind. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But that's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for the bylaws are are something that I suppose we're going to see another iteration of. They've closed the second phase of public consultation, so we'll see what comes back as far as amendments after uh, that. 
could I say on a closing that there's a meeting today in at the Oireachtas Housing Committee and they will be writing to Waterways Ireland with the, how they see the whole thing panning out. So we're, we're looking forward to their um, deliberations this afternoon or, or tonight at later. We might get it, you know. A lot of people on that committee are very, very unhappy with it. Well, we'll be and monitoring came, here at Midlands 103 and we'll have it on the news later. Well, Liam, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Sure you Liam Finneran of the Shannon Lakes and Rivers Group. Got an opinion on this? Let me know. Now, still on the agenda this morning, half a million euro, actually 515,000 to be precise, taken from Westmeath County Council, money that belongs to the taxpayer in some form of accountancy fraud, an online accountancy fraud that happened in January but wasn't discovered until Friday the 16th of February. Well, the issue, as you can imagine, was raised at yesterday's meeting of Westmeath County Council. So we'll tell you what was said. Also, bringing the big top to Tullamore, the Phoenix Festival due to take place over the Patrick's weekend, has hit a setback in court. If you live in Rose Lawn, I'd like to talk to you. What are your concerns? And... Patricia Gibney, like many people, she always wanted to write a book and 30 years ago she did just that but it wasn't until she lost her husband to cancer that she finally managed to reinvent herself and the success she has achieved in the years since has just been staggering. Anyway, more on that between now and 12. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. But this morning I want to talk about Anne Delaney. Anne was a mother of one. She was just 47 years of age. She had worked as a nurse for many years and helped people through their illnesses and their struggles and she supported them when they needed it most. And for whatever reason, we as a society were unable to do the same for her. And she was found dead in Dublin this week, a victim of homelessness. And as news of her death spread on social media, many flowers were laid, many candles were lit at the spot where she used to sleep. And somebody who knew Anne in her time of struggle is Chris O'Reilly of the Liberty Supron. Chris, you're welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Tell us more about Anne. Well... All I can say about Anne is, look, okay, Anne was Anne and she was just such a lovely lady, you know. Even though the way she was living, she was just, she was a character in her own way, you know. She she brought laughter, she brought joy, she brought sadness, she brought, she just had it all, you know. She she had a good sense of humour and, you know, she cheered those up as a super and going around feeding her. And, you know, when she had her good days, she had her bad days, just like us all, she's human. But she was just a lovely woman all around, you know. And when did you last see her? We last seen her. So the last time I personally would have seen her would have been Bank Holiday Monday. Um, but the van, the other drivers would have seen her probably the day before she passed away. What sort of spirits was she in? She was in, like, like Anne, Anne is on the streets now, like, probably five to seven years, you know. She used to stay in a hostel. And, you know, she was happy there, but that hostel closed down. 
And then she was she went to visit another couple of hospitals and tried to know, but you're unsafe for her. So we we used to try and encourage her to go and stay in the hospital. She she felt safer on the streets, but it just got so bad. Then she just she just accepted it, you know. And that's that's how she lived, you know. And I was so sad. Like a family support, as she had great support from the community up in Dublin. Everybody, if you look on the social media, like there's not one negative thing about the woman. She was just an amazing woman, you know, and like she'd even, she'd, have, she'd give you her last euro, you know, that's the type of woman she was. Like she'd write you poems, you'd, like you'd sit there and she'd tell you jokes, she'd tell you stories and she she was just incredible, incredible, you know, it was just so sad to see the way she passed away. Chris, did she talk much about her past, about her life before homelessness? No, she, Anne was very private, believe it or not. She's very private, you know, and she didn't like going on about she loved listening to other people's stories, you know, and she she got a buzz out of that. She got a, I gave her some hope, I'd, I'd say, and you know maybe she took all that information in, but she was private and she only gave us the basic information, you know, and that's okay. We weren't there to mm-hmm. question our background, or, but you know, she, all I know, she was a lovely person, you know, a lovely, lovely person that fell on hard times and now has sadly passed away in a doorway, in a doorway in Dublin, you know. It's just like like we just we need there's there's not enough like women's refuges you know and we need we need proper hostels we need you know it's just the system is just being broken you know it's it's so sad on the whole and especially our family and us just want to send all the bones to our family you know it's just a hard time for them and you know we feel it for them as well yeah they're probably listening in County Leash this morning in Cretty Yard where she grew up and mm. where she was mm. very well known and I know some of her family are still involved in GAA and it's a horrible, horrible time for them. But this is, in a way, Chris, it's like a tragic Groundhog Day because there have been so many other Anns who have mm. died on the streets and as a society yeah. we have a huge policy challenge to stop people like Anne slipping through yeah. the cracks and some would say yeah. through the canyons they're more than cracks yes yeah, so, see we, we we have a homeless crisis we understand that but most of the people we look after would be in addiction with alcoholism and drugs and what we need is we need we need more support we need more treatment centers residential homes you know for men and women like you have got a homeless crisis and like someone in addiction we can't just give a new home to we need to get the proper support in place for us that's what we do out on the streets. We try to send away to different rehabs and all over Europe, but it's more needed in Ireland now. Like, it's grown, and we're feeding probably up to 100 people a night in our vans riding around Dublin City. And it's just heartbreaking, and there's going to be many more deaths, believe me. This is not the end of it. There's going to be many more in the streets of Dublin and, and everywhere else. Chris, the people listening to your voice can act in certain ways. Obviously, there are elections coming up and they can put this on the radar of their politicians. Mm. But for your organisation directly, tell us what you do and how we can help. So what we do, we're called the Liberty Super. I'm just a community-based um, volunteer group. Um, we started five years ago with the aim just to go out onto the streets and help the homeless. We started um, five years ago with a small table and a couple of sandwiches and it's just grown into something that we never expected and never wanted to do but we are doing it with 23 volunteers so basically we go out on the streets in the night time and we feed and look after the homeless we try to get them into hostels we try to get them treatment centres if they need it we try to get them support um, so we're out there 7 days a week 365 days a year and we provide them with sleeping bags underwear uh, toiletries hats, gloves, scarves food um, 
like all all of the above, you know, we're, we're on Instagram, we're on um, Facebook, we're on Twitter. Um, if anybody would like to help out, you can find us on that platform, you know, and all like we're so grateful for any help because we we want to stop this, guys. We don't want we don't want this to continue in our country, you know. It's just it's wrong in this day and age that people are still dying in the hallways, you know, and it's it's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Chris, I know you're under pressure. You've got your hands full. Thank you very much for yeah. taking our call. And thank you. God bless. Take care. Chris O'Reilly of the Liberty Soup Run. 17 minutes past 10. More details on the half a million euro taken from Leash County Council and what the elected representatives, the people who represent you, were told yesterday. Last week, we learned that Westmeath County Council had become the victim of some form of fraud in an incident that happened back in January but wasn't alerted until or discovered until Friday the 16th of February. Now, as you can imagine, when Westmeath County Councillors convened yesterday, this was something many of them wanted answers to and watching for us was Sinead Hubble. Morning, Sinead. Good morning. So what do we learn? So interim CEO Barry Kyo addressed councillors about this issue. Uh, the council uh, have lost over half a million euro in this fraud payment. Um, now he said that the council is not in a position to give out any further details about what happened. Um, he said that he will update and he will answer questions from local authority members when he can, when he's in a position to do so. He Did said, he say why he's not in a position? He says it's under investigation by on Garda Síochána and he wanted to let them do their job. Cahirlach Liam McDaniel agreed that it was right to refrain from any discussion that could unintentionally jeopardise that investigation. Okay, and was, generally speaking, was that to the satisfaction of the other members or was there some disquiet? There was no further discussion on it after that. There was just that brief statement lasted probably about a minute in yesterday's meeting. All right. Sinead, thank you very much. Thank you. So the wait will continue to find out exactly what happened or what systems perhaps failed and what will be done to prevent such a recurrence. There's also the matter of insurance and whether there will be a compensation to the local authority and ultimately to you as a taxpayer. And if not, what sort of adjustment to services will result from the loss of half a million euro. I'm surprised those issues, at least, couldn't have been explored somewhat, if not the precise means by which the fraudsters carried out their act. Anyway, that we will have to satisfy ourselves with for now. Still on the agenda today, Patricia Gibney. She has become a hugely popular author and it's been one of our great success stories from the Midlands over recent years. The Missing Ones was first published in 2017 and sold more than 100,000 copies. And now she has a new book out to rave reviews. And I suppose one question is whether any of this has changed her. Obviously, financially, her fortunes have improved and she's very much fulfilled and it has helped her move past a very difficult chapter in her life with the death of her beloved husband. But what does she do day to day? And is she still the same person that she always was? Well, we'll meet her in just over an hour's time. And if you want to talk to her and if you've got a question, please send it to me now. To your comments on 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. A little earlier, we talked to the golfer, 
who was in the seniors group at over 50. And we were lamenting, ah, when you get into the seniors group, it's a sign you're growing old. But Hilda reminds us that the only way to avoid growing old is to die young. I don't fancy that alternative, do you? Mark, listening to the story of Anne from County Leash, who was a nurse for many years, who ended up falling into difficulty and spent her life, her final years on the streets of Dublin. He says, if that woman was an immigrant or an asylum seeker, would she have died on the streets? Hmm? Do you know, Will, there is a young homeless girl on the street in Tullamore? No, I didn't hear that. And maybe you could send me some information and we can make some discreet inquiries. Regarding Ryanair and their baggage policy, Will, my mam flew with the airline and was getting charged because her bag was just a little bit too big. Now, this is a bag she has travelled with for years, And they attempted to impose a penalty of €45. And my mother said to them, you're charging me because you didn't get your commission this month. And the guy at the desk says, well, for your opinion, it's now €72 for the bag. (laughs) Right. Another caller says, before anybody says, treat the homeless first, Remember how you all complained about opening an addiction centre in Kilbegan. I think it was Kilcormack, actually. Or having an ejection room in an area. People need services instead of going to industrial parks where others don't have to look at them. One more. Will, my son was helping Chris in Dublin recently. This is from Patricia in Kilbegan, who says her son has been working with the soup run uh, in the area for some time and all donations gratefully received. So you may see the Liberty Soup Run van from time to time. The Liberty Soup Run and others like them do great work. And look, we have our own food appeals in the Midlands, the Ken Smullen food appeal, perhaps being one of the better known, St. Vincent de Paul and, and others as well. So, unfortunately, no shortage of good causes to support in times when, apparently, we're doing rather well economically. 29 minutes past 10, let's lighten the mood. Indeed, let's get out in the garden into some fresh air on what is rather brisk morning. It's now up to 9, 10 degrees in most parts of the Midlands. So, what to do as spring dawns? Anya O'Mara is here from O'Mara's Garden Pavilion. Regain your composure there, please. Good morning, Will. And she's brought purple potatoes. Yeah, I'm on a purple team, a blue and purple team this week. Yeah, so this is, I, I don't often get very excited about potatoes. Oh, this is I'll creative. Be, I'll, though, I'll, yeah. be, I'll be uh, honest. But I'm trying to get my kids to eat more vegetables. And potatoes are a struggle in my house for some reason. So I'm going to grow these this year with my little boy, Louis. They're purple. And when you cook them, they remain purple. It's like something from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, I have to get my head around this. So you'd have purple mash. Absolutely. Purple mash, purple potato salad. 
There's many things you could make. And yet it'll taste just like potatoes. Just like potatoes. And there's the same antioxidants as blueberries. So whatever makes the blue in the blueberries, it's the same in this potato. It's called Purple Rain. So you can play prints after I've left. Um, so very excited about these. Probably the first time in about 20 years I'm going to grow potatoes. And growing in much the same way as any other exactly potato? Exactly the same. I don't have much uh, room in my house for, for, for drills, so I'm just going to do them in some bin bags. Just pop them around the side and, and open your bin bag up. You can get, a you know, the strong, heavy-duty bin bags. So you can do them in pot cider, but I just think the bin bags are handy. Put in your a layer of soil, maybe a layer of farmy manure in the bottom if you can get it. Put your maybe tree potatoes in the, in the bag, cover it up with soil, have the bag roll down. And as the potatoes grow up, you add more soil, break, keep bringing up the bag, add more soil, add more soil. And then um, in the summer, you'll be harvesting your potatoes for your potato salad. Or your chips. Or your chips. Imagine yeah. purple chips. Be delicious. Yeah, the brain will have to work out why it tastes just the way it does because you'll expect something it will, different. It will be a little bit of a fish sausage situation. Have you ever had one of those? No. Yeah, it's it's hard to get your head around, all right. I've had turkey sausages, all yeah, right. Similar, similar. So we'll be having purple mash in the summer. I'll Doesn't bring it compute. In. Okay, we'll look forward to that. You have some seeds? I have. So this is a new range from Kew Gardens, the National Botanic in in England uh, from Thompson & Morgan. Thompson & Morgan are one of the best seed companies um, out there. Very difficult to deal with at the moment with Brexit, with all the regulations, but we're, we're, they're, they're trying and we're trying. Um, but they have some amazing seeds this year. You should just smuggle them in. The Navy only has one vessel at sea. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure they'd find me. They probably would. They would. Yeah. They would. Your luck is like mine. Exactly. Um, so, some really, really nice ones that we haven't had for years and years and years. Ones that are scented at night time. A lot of, you know, plants are scented during the day and then there's a lot of ones that come out at night. So, it's called the pollination range. And I've picked four of the ones that flower with scent. Um t- the, probably the most one that people would know is the night scented stock. Mm. Very, very uh, heavily scented. You can start sowing that now in March. But what I know, it's it's very superficial of me, but the seed packets alone are so pretty. You could you could nearly frame them. They're beautiful botanical art. So you can see all the different insects they attract. And at night time, you know, all the different ones that will come out. Um, this one here is the night flowering catchfly, which is a Celine. Beautiful, beautiful plant, really unusual scent. Uh, Nicotiana, so we would sell the, the bedding plant version in the summer, the tobacco plant. But this one is a one that flowers really sweetly scented flowers. Beautiful, again, can be done now. When you say tobacco plant, we're not back on smuggling here, are we? No, no, we're. N- I don't think so. I think this is just. I, th- I yeah, actually, I think you might be able to smoke the leaves, but I don't. You don't think you get anything ha- hallucinating. Please don't try this at no, home. No, please yes. don't do that at home. Uh, never eat leaves that are not meant for eating, please, because some of the leaves that you wouldn't think are very, very toxic, and I've and that knowledge is going out. Mm. You know. You, I think we need to be more mindful of that. Um, there was a horrible case in England last year, the little boy at Taxus, you know, 
Irish ewe. It's deadly, deadly dangerous. Tomato leaves, there's so many things. So please, no kids, no eating leaves, unless your your mommy and daddy said it's okay. Um, and then this one here is Sweet Rocket. It's the Hesperus. So you'd see that wildly growing around the place. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, spicy evening fragrance. So and maybe, obviously it's an attractive flower as well. Yeah, really, they all have attractive. So they have to be attractive for bees and butterflies to go over to mm. them. Um, and then for us to, to have them in pots around our patios, somewhere where you're going to sit out, you know, you're having a barbecue or whatever, to get that scent in the evening time. If we get a nice warm summer, it'll be lovely to have a few of those dotted around. And they can be all started now. It's a good time to do it. Finally, before we get on to the questions, this is the inspiration section. You have a basket with lots of purple I have. so Purple have, seems to be your theme today. It is, it is. I like to go on team, Will. So these baskets are really handy. I actually use them for my own wedding because they have six little sections on them. And you can use them for the spring and then in the summer you can grow your herbs in them. There's just so many different things. So every Easter we do these little baskets up in the garden centre just with a selection of spring you know, hmm. it, life is back. So, this so what have you in there? So this is a forget-me-not, a blue one. They also come in pink and white. So you could do this basket with pinks if you wanted. And you can put this on your dining table or you can put it outside. I have two or three different types of primula. So there's primulas that have long stems, there's primulas that have short stems and there's primulas that are scented. This little guy here is called a muscari. And this is the blue version with a little white tip. It's called a grape hyacinth. They're really, really pretty. And this one here is my favourite. This is a snakehead fritillaria. So it's nearly like a grass. It is, it is. But it grows in grass and in meadows. So the, the pattern on the flower is like snakeskin. And that's only its bud. When it opens up, it shakes in the wind. It's just, it's very pretty. You can also get those in white. But the best thing you know, about... If I take off my glasses for a minute, I'd swear there was a snake on I know, that, it, yeah. is, it is slightly... At a glance, it'll unsettle. It's slightly creepy, but it's, it's, it's very pretty. Nature is amazing. The best thing about these... Is that a defence mechanism in some way, I wonder? Did it evolve to look like I that deliberately? I think it grows in grasslands and prairies. Mm. You know, naturally, it would have just been that that way. Um, and then we have cultivars of it. A lot of them, a lot of the fritil areas, I think, are from Persia. You know, that kind of vibe on the mountains. These can be all planted out into the garden and they come back next year. So you're getting your spring display mm. for inside in your house or on your patio, but you're not throwing them away. The forget-me-nots will take seeds. You can plant them under trees. The primulas, these ones here are proper, you know, perennial primulas. They will flower again next year. The muscari will multiply and you'll get more next year and, and for, for many, many years. And the fritillaria again as well, plant them out underneath trees. And so, do you need to care for them in a particular way no, off-season? absolutely not. They, the, the, they will quite happily look after themselves. Fire and forget and they keep coming back and back and back. That's what we want. Here's an interesting one. You mentioned the pollination attractors and the scents and so on. So this is from a mum who has a three-year-old, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and they all hate wasps. 
And the concern would be if you bring something fragrant into the house or into the garden, yes, you'll attract the flies, but you'll also attract the wasps. Um, that's a no-win scenario, She's really. She's a busy lady. Yeah. Um, because if you want to encourage pollinators, which yeah, we do, yeah, and wasps, wasps are, are pollinators. part of that ecosystem, and they're an integral part. They, you know, they eat the green flies. They they are part of the armor. I'm not that massive fan of wasps myself. I've got stung many a times with them. I think you just it's true education to the kids that just when they see a wasp, leg it. Mm. Um, Look, I suppose it depends on the size of your garden. If you live in the country and you've got half an acre or something, you put these pollinating plants in one corner absolutely. and advise the kids not to go into it. But there are plants to avoid. There are so- certain plants that will have more sugar content in them, like fuchsias, wasp central. There's, you know, there's mm. there are plants that you just don't put in your garden if you're really, really do not like them. But there's loads of plants then that they, eh, there wouldn't be that, you know, you, you could always plant a fuchsia in the neighbour's garden and bring all the wasps over there. I always like a bit of deflection. Have you ever seen at the end of the apple tree season when the apples have fallen on the ground and they start to break down? It's the sugar. And the wasps the get drunk on yeah. them. Yeah. It's fermenting. It's the from yeah. They go crazy. Mm, it's all about the sugar for the wasps. So those high nectar sugar fruits it's wasp. Now I feel that caller's pain but it's one of those difficult dilemmas. If you want to encourage pollinators, you're going to get wasps. Anya O'Mara is here from O'Mara's Garden Pavilion in Gaybrook in Mullingar. And our next query is from a listener with an indoor lily. And unfortunately, it's just riddled with black flies. What would put them off? So you can get get a neem oil from a health shop. And this is what I use on all my indoor plants. And you make up a solution spray with water and you spray it on. You can also use it on cotton wool and wipe the black fly off with it. It's excellent. But a lot of house plants are going to be under pressure now including my own. There's a few of them not going to make it because of the lack of light. And we're just getting now to the end of winter and they're starting to run out of juice. So a lot of people now look at your houseplants. They may need to be repotted to give them a bit of revitalisation and start feeding now in March Mm. Uh, because a plant is under pressure. They'll get attacked. It's a bit like us. We're under pressure. We get sick. Uh, So same with the plants. So Whatever has happened to that lily, it might have been under pressure. Treat the problem, get rid of the get rid of the fly, but also let's find a solution. Maybe repot it, hmm. move it to a better location where it's getting more light, not direct sunlight. But you know, you need to look at all angles there. Ina wants to know the best time of year to sow tomato seed. Now, now, and it's a really, really um, good time. And if you go to your garden centre and try and pick varieties that, say, garden centres like us wouldn't have. So try and, you know, plant the seeds of unusual types. It's, it's always nice to have something special for yourself. Uh, Nathalia in Mullingar has started to grow her garden from scratch, but unfortunately the soil in the backyard isn't great. It looks like they used stone and crap left over from the house construction to fill in the garden. So she's wondering, is there any way to make a silk purse from a sow's ear? 
Yeah. So Natalia, if if you're so it's, it's like a foundations of a house. The foundations of soil is everything to a garden. And if you're going to be planting trees, you will need to dig out areas and replenish that soil with proper topsoil. There's no point adding stuff to that. That's just, you know, subsoil and probably a can of Fanta thrown in. And, you know, I've been on sites. I understand. So you need to to change that soil. If you're doing borders or, or herbaceous borders or just, you know, plants that don't have that bigger root system, you don't need to go down that far to replace the soil. But you do need to replace it in a in a in a situation where the soil is poor, not just subsoil and builders rubble. You can, of course, add, you know, soil conditioner, farmyard manures, you know, to build up that soil structure again. But in a situation where you dig down and you hit a concrete block, you're just going to have to, I'm afraid, do the unglamorous work of getting the soil right, the drainage right, because nothing is going to grow. Uh, my dad always said this, a tree will grow for three years in a bad site. And after the third year, it will fail and it'll start getting worse and worse and worse. And that's how, you know, when you drive around certain developments, who did the groundworks properly and who just said, right, lash them in, get these fabulous trees in, mm. pop them into the gravel. They were fine for two or three years and then in the third year, not so good. So plants will, will really, really try their best. But obviously, Natalia, this is her house, this is her home. She's going to be there for quite a while. She needs to do some proper prep and spend a, you know, a good time at it. She might have to, you know, do it all spring, uh, summer, and then next year concentrate on growing. So little you can do if you're buying in a development, but I think a lesson as well, if it's a one-off house and you've got the builders in, watch them. Absolutely, absolutely. I had to do it for my own house. I had to, I had to call in the big guns, Mr O'Mara, and make sure I got the right topsoil. Listeners wondering, do you know if rooster potatoes are GM? No. No, they're all Irish seed. Our potatoes, we, thankfully now, when when Brexit first ha- happened, I don't even like saying the word, um, we were down to five varieties of potatoes because all our potato seed was Scottish seed. It was mm. crazy. I, I, like, it, it's, it's hard to believe a potato-growing country like ourselves, all our seed was from Scotland. Um, and like a lot of the, the varieties were being bred in swords. A lot of them, you know, we, we, we were very strong on potatoes, as we should be. Um, but now we're back to, I think, 15 varieties in the garden centre. Um, before Brexit, I was at 22. So we're, you know, the Irish seed, we're, we're getting more Irish seed back. We have got, you know, a couple of really good companies now in the country producing for the horticulture market, not just agriculture. Um, so, no, they're not. Good to show on you a picture that came in on WhatsApp. It's a little bit blurry, but that is somebody's garden, their lawn, after cattle broke in. So you've got lots of holes that need to be filled, possibly. How would you repair I that lawn? I think 
cattle have a radar for a new lawn. Have you ever noticed that when it, when you when you, people set a new lawn, cattle seem to get in? It happened mine. It'll happen loads of people. Or cats go digging. Oh, it's or just, the dog buries the bone. They just sense it. It looks like my lawn at the moment because my kids have been playing on it and it's all holes. Um, Speaking of kids, by the way, have you somebody to say hello I to? I do. Hello, Louis. Hello. You're, he's off school today. He's listening to me. Louis the boss. Louis the boss. Um, yeah, so you need to go to get some topsoil, sterilise topsoil um, and reseed it. And you, you really need to wait for the weather to be 10 degrees before you do that. So fill her up let this, and, and fill it over the hole because, you know, there's going to be settling. and You don't want dips. You don't want anyone uh, playing football and breaking an ankle. So fill it over the hole, let it settle for a couple of weeks and then you can get special patch lawn seed that has an aqua gel on the seed so even if it ever stops raining the seed will be fine if we get a dry spell Hmm. Awkward conversation with the neighbouring farmer though because that's going to cost money isn't it? It is Hmm. Good luck with that Okay, uh, next query What is the best moss killer for a patio? Somebody suggested using uh, washing powder and I hear it's a home remedy but I'm not so sure it's the best. We're using bread soda in the garden centre. Simple bread soda? Bread soda. We buy it in 25 kg sacks. Um, and and what, spread by hand? Spread by hand. All the paths, all the car park, everywhere, bread soda. And what, let it die, brush yeah. it away then? Absolutely, yeah. That we spend, we spend January and February cleaning uh, and because we don't spray anymore, it's a little bit more laborious. You know, we've a lot of a lot of pressure, water, and and other bits and pieces cleaning polythene. And, but it has to be done because if you don't want to spray and you don't want to use chemicals, you have to work. Mm. That's what all these sprays and chemicals did. They took away the manual labour, but that's not good. So we're using bread soda. We've no chemicals now for for cleaning moss. It's just plain old bread soda. I'm allergic to manual labour. <laughs> a listener lives near the Shannon, so very soggy ground as a result. They're wondering what sort of trees will thrive in that sort of soil. Okay, larch, willow, many different things. Um, if they want, they can send me a picture, an email. And I will suggest what I think they should plant because there's river birch, but it has to be in context with the place that they're planting. Mm. You know, you can't plant a willow right beside your house. You know, I I need to see where they're planting it. But there are loads of lovely things. The right tree in the right place will always look better, even if it's not the most exciting tree, rather than the wrong tree in the wrong place, because it'll always look shook. So think before you plant mm. next week is plant a tree week so if uh, uh, if we can uh, we should get out there and plant a tree an Irish tree It'd be great great for kids to, to get to know that you know we have to keep planting for the next generation you know a small little tree a euro if we can it'd be great Unfortunately, we're out of time and lots of questions we didn't get to. So next occasion, Anya is here. We'll tackle it. Or just look up Omara's Garden Pavilion on social and indeed send on that picture and she can answer the query. Anya, thank you very much. Thank you. Latest news coming next at 11. 
And still on the agenda, Patricia Gibney, author of Little Bones. That's the new one. And the Phoenix Festival in Tullamore. Can the big top still come to town? Midlands 103. Still on the agenda today. What you may not have heard from the launch of the road safety campaign yesterday by the children of the Midlands. The message being very simple, phone down, safe driving. But the emergency services were well represented. Gartha Commissioner was there. It was a huge occasion and a credit to all concerned. And Patricia Gibney pops by 30 years on since she wrote her very first book. Um, But her new one, well... It's going from strength to strength. More on that at half past 11. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. If you were in Burr for the Queen of the Land last November, whistling donkeys and so many acts in the big top, it was a huge, huge occasion. And there was a hope that the Big Top would be coming to Tullamore for the Phoenix Festival in March. But that is not to be after a court decision last week. And have to respect the views as well of residents in the Roselawn area who objected to the event. And indeed, if you live there, want to hear your point of view in this next conversation. But Kieran Conroy is the man who was hoping to put that festival together and still is putting a festival together. He runs the Phoenix in Tullamore. Morning, Kieran. How are you? Are you well? Very well, thank you. Let's go back to the beginning. So what was the vision? So the vision was, as, you, as you've outlined there, the big top was in Borough and there was a big one in, in Mullingar last year for the Westmead Bachelor Festival that they are bringing back again this year. Um, so the vision was was to do something like that in Tullamore. Um, we identified a potential location. Uh, spoke with Wayne, who provides the big tops. He's actually from lives in Geishel, so mm. it would have been a nice easy one for him. And we wanted to create. And if I had went ahead, it would have been one of the largest festivals on St Patrick's weekend in Ireland. Now, just for the benefit of people in Athlone or Portlaoise who don't know the area, mm. you're based in O'Connor Square, right yeah. in the middle of town. Yeah. So where were you hoping to locate the big top? Which would have been in Roselawn Car Park, which is right behind us. It's a privately owned car park that you can park there all day. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of local business people or people that work in the town park there. And we consulted with Luke Coyle, who owns the car park. He also owns the, the building beside us and uh, agreed with him that we could rent it off him for 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 four or five days. And he was very supportive and fair, in, in favour. Luke was brilliant. He, he gave us the car park and said we could basically, you know, within reason, do what we wanted. We told him our plans and what we hoped to bring to the town. And he thought it was a great idea and was very, very supportive of it. And, you know, we appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, so the plan was to create this big festival in St. Patrick's weekend and, you know, bring some of the biggest acts in Ireland to the town, sort of like what uh, Canal Quarter do, but mm. just do it a bit different in a in a big top. You know, visually would have been, um, visually would have been amazing. And then obviously uh, we set about then engaging with like the Whistling Donkeys, Rula Bula, the High Sioux Prophets, and then we decided that we wanted to bring someone who had never played in the Midlands before. So we were uh, going on to Jenny Green's management team to see if she was available. Jenny is you know a huge profile, has sought out to speak. Legal tent in Wexford, you know, she's done huge um, gigs all over Ireland 
and you know we so you know we sold her on a vision of what we wanted to do and uh, she was she was in favor of it so it took a bit of time but we got a deal done with Jenny and we're looking forward to it and uh, yeah unfortunately now we've had to try and change our plans up a small bit so let's explain why that came about so the yeah. town centre isn't just a commercial space. Rose Lawn is mm. also a residential area. It is, yes. Yeah. So it is a residential area, and from the the outset, we knew you know there would be concerns from the residents. I am aware, you know, that they're a very private estate. That a lot of people that do live there are elderly, and you know, we did uh, make contact with the head of the residents association back in November about it, and you know they were to come back to us, and you know. I suppose, looking back, I could say I I should have maybe engaged with them more before um, January, but, you know, Christmas is a busy time, especially when you own a pub, so... um, But but just to clarify, when you say you made contact with them, how much information did you give them about your plans? We told uh, the President of the Association what my plans were for the weekend, and I asked to have a meeting with him or with the residents, and he, he said he would come back to me on it, and, you know, we didn't have a further conversation, I suppose, until... Uh, I contacted him again to have a meeting, you know, uh, at the start of February. So, you know, I thought when I didn't hear back from them that, there w- you know, there wasn't going to be as much objection as there was, you know. So, like I said, on my behalf, I probably should have engaged a bit more. Um, and we did then had a meeting with, with the president and the secretary where we, uh, myself and Breda, our health and safety officer, outlined the plans and what we wanted to do. They were to come back to us and, you know, uh, we, we were to come back to them with, with a full plan of how we would make sure, you know, their lives weren't going to be impacted or people weren't going to be in there that shouldn't be in there. And, you know, we just had to tie up a few loose ends with the guardie and the fire officer first, which we did and they approved before we went back to them. But, you know, in the meantime, they made their stance very clear that they were against it. And yeah, as is on, the right... On the principle of noise interference? Noise interference, the infringement that it would have on their lives over, you know, over the three or four days. And just general concerns of, you know, people loitering in the, in the estate that shouldn't be there. Um, we had a plan to combat all this. Um, you know, the, the biggest how, one... How would you assuage their concerns? We had a plan to make sure that, you know, people weren't going to be in the estate. Uh, we had a full security team in place that would have been there. Uh, we would have had security on the site, you know, 24 hours a day to, you know, from when the big top was installed. You know, we were looking at different ways of uh, making sure that people weren't parking in, 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 in Roselawn, mm-hmm. uh, which was, I know, something that was a big concern of theirs. And we had a plan for that, plan that they use similar with local residents in the ploughing and Crow Park and stuff like that. So we had all these measures that we had in place and, like I said, were signed off by the local guardy and the fire officer. But, um, like I said, they, they were just... It weren't in favour of it, and like I said, that is their right. So, you know, it's it is what it is, and you know, we'll 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 just move on now, and that that's the plan is to still go ahead, but uh, obviously not. But with you've a big obviously top. crunched numbers, assuming you were going to sell out a big yeah. top. Yeah. Now you're going to move that activity mm. into your own premises, yeah. which is obviously smaller. Yeah. So how does that impact your business plan? Uh, a lot. It's it, we're now basically instead of looking at you know you know making a profit, um, looking at to we're still going ahead because we have obviously the axe booked and large deposits paid is to you know get out of it by 
breaking even or making a small profit but at this stage or mitigating know, a loss yeah well you know we're staring down the barrel of a huge loss if we didn't do it and obviously at this business is the way it is I'm small business I'm not I'm not MCD or anything like that I, I'm just myself and I personally have had the deposits I personally mm. had committed to taking on extra staff you know extra security staff and you know we have worked with the bands in fairness that all the bands have been amazing they've understood the situation they have committed to playing and to, to go on ahead and that that's what we're going to do. What do you learn from the experience? Uh, because you're still hoping one day to bring the big top to Tullamore. Hopefully. It, it definitely won't be in, in, in Roseland Car Park um, because, uh, you know, we, we are going to respect um, the decision of the judge. We, we, we will also respect the residents and their concerns. And, you know, so it's been a huge learning curve if you look at other places, they run events like this. Um, if you look at other towns, they do do it. And it is something that Tullamore needs more of. Uh, like I said, we have one festival, which is amazing, and the amount of bin- uh, businesses that benefit from it, not just, you know, the person that mm. organises is huge, like my business benefits from it from that weekend. But uh, there's space. There is space, uh, yeah. Not just physically, in the sense mm. that the Canal Quarter Festival is at mm. one point in the year yeah. far removed from your Phoenix Festival. Yeah, and that's why we purposely picked this weekend. Uh, we thought it would be a perfect weekend. Um, as I said here, we worked with the bands, we sold them on a vision that this was going to be one of the biggest festivals in Ireland they you know over St Patrick's weekend not just in the Midlands so there is space like there's numerous counties that run numerous different types of festivals and I know the county arms that the Queen of Land in the big top would have been the, pretty much the exact same setup as what they had and it was amazing and I know people staff that work for me went down to that mm. you know so and they told me how amazing it was so you know that that was the, that was the plan and you know, hopefully someday we'll get to do it but equally can you understand if you were living very close by to the big top and you were trying to get to sleep or your ch- child was trying to get to sleep or your elderly parents were trying to get to sleep how would you feel? Absolutely yeah, I, I, I 100% uh, I'm not here to say oh they were completely unreasonable they weren't like they have concerns concerns that I you know we, we when we met the president and the secretary I offered to meet all the residents and we did set up a meeting on the Tuesday evening fair enough they said it was too short notice but like, there was different reasons why the meeting went ahead that day and not a different day um, so like you know but we invited all other residents not just that estate to that meeting and only one person came and he was actually in support of it so um, but I do completely understand you know which is why the, the music was planned to be stopped at 11 I do understand small kids or older people might go to bed before 11pm I do get all that but we were we had a plan in place to be checking the noise every 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 half an hour in all different areas you know around the corner square and around Roselawn as well we had a dedicated number set up that anybody with concerns could ring and say look this is going on or whatever's going on and that we could deal with it so I, I, you know, as I said, other places run events. You know, Crow mm. Park runs concerts till eleven p.m. and they have a hugely residential area as well. So it can be done, um, but like I said, you know, hopefully someday we'll get to do it. But um, it, not this year, not this year. No. Okay. But for those who want to go along and to see all of the acts you've mentioned, the festival is continuing. It will be in the Phoenix, and. Tickets are still available? Yes, yeah, so there's a limited number of... because uh, obviously. So what we're doing is we're going to temporarily extend our venues. All details will be posted up this evening. It's taken a few days because we just had to work with all the bands and assure them, obviously, you know, they're going from playing in a big top that could 
potentially hold 1,500 people to, you know, a lot smaller size. And some of the bands generally wouldn't, if I had booked them for this, for the, if I had booked the Whistling Donkeys for the 15th of March and told them they'd be playing in the Phoenix, they wouldn't have done it because, you know, it's, they're, they're such a, uh, a big band that, you know, they only play in certain venues that have certain sizes and, you know, they're, they're playing in, Things the ambassador and Paddy said mm. themselves in Dublin. So, um, but in fairness, you know they 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 are willing to go ahead. They want to and for music lovers, it makes the experience yeah. more intimate. Yeah, and they want to you know they want to play for their fans and people have bought tickets already. So yeah, so we are going to extend our venue. We're working with a team on that at the minute. So temporarily, it will be extended to hold a larger. Uh, crowd of people and um, we are still going to put on the event and still make sure people have a, an amazing weekend so as I said weekend tickets are sold out there is day tickets left for the three days and you can get the link in our profile or on, on our Facebook or Instagram or also from withwego.com Rather aptly named the Phoenix as it rises again Kieran Conroy thank you for your time Thanks Children here in the Midlands are urging you to put your phone down and to drive safely. And as you may have heard yesterday, the students at Skullwira in Tullamore launched a road safety campaign in association with the Rotary Club and many, many stakeholders. And it comes as almost a fifth of drivers admitted to writing messages or emails often on their phones in research by the Road Safety Authority. Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble has been speaking with those who have to deal with the aftermath of a crash. Starting with Sinead Mulvihill, Cora Brady and Alan Birmingham, who work as paramedics. Generally, when we arrive at the scene of a crash, we have at the scene of a crash. We actually have to have a look at the area first to make sure that access and egress is there for other crews if required to come in and out. So, depending on what we find on the scene, we will make our way to. Ordinarily, you're going to have other people there directing you anyway, but you'll make your way to the most critically ill person and an assessment or a triage is done on scene to see exactly who needs our help first. There is absolutely more traffic accidents and probably more serious traffic accidents while cars are safer, the excess speed and what they're coming up against just um, leaves a lot more critically ill patients. What's your role on the helicopter ambulance? I'm an advanced paramedic. So we would go and the idea of the helicopter is to bring people to the most appropriate hospital. So you might be in a certain area where it might necessarily be a major trauma hospital. So then you will bring them to the Galway, Dublin or even Tullamore is a major trauma. But if they're in outlying areas where Castle Barn, that they are trauma hospitals, it wouldn't be major trauma. So you have to make that decision then to bring them to what to call the most appropriate hospital. I'm with the Ambulance Service for the past uh, 24 years. There has been a lot of change um, over the past 24 years in, in relation to the helicopter that's new as well. Um, our vehicles are all new. We've taken on quite a lot more staff and our staff now, are, our uh, role used, our training used to be initial seven weeks and then ongoing training. Now it's a two-year de- degree in UCD or UCC. How do you deal with the trauma that you see on, on our roads? How do you cope with that when you go home in the evenings? I always remember when I started and being very apprehensive about going out to these things. But I will say one thing, your training and your colleagues and your mentors that you have on an ambulance or on an RV or a helicopter, they're your support network. And those people, with the experience that they have, 
they make you calm they, because if you're not calm you cannot give the most to who needs it needs it the most so you start to go back to as the description is the ABCs and that's how you do it it becomes what is the most need here at this minute in time and you have to become logical yes afterwards there are let's say debriefs that are there for us and we have critical incident support management teams and we have each other and that is the biggest support you will have in the ambulance service is colleague to colleague and always will be I believe anyway because no one knows what you've seen or what you're going through better than the person that's sitting beside you in that seat personal note I find it's we're highly trained to deal with a lot of different situations and just to know that you did as the saying goes everything that's reasonably expected or could be reasonably expected of you but to know that you've done everything you possibly could regardless the outcome is the outcome we do what we can uh, so basically just to know you did give them every possible chance is the way I make my peace with it and today is a great event to teach children about road safety and to bring that message home because they're the ones that can enforce it when they're in the back of the car absolutely and you know I have two daughters from they were knee high to a grasshopper safety belts on the awareness that there is no jumping around in a moving vehicle giving out about other people walking out in front of traffic when you know you're coming along not looking where they're going and it's hard for small kids there's more traffic on the road there's more motorcycles on the road it's not easy either to navigate what is our society at the moment and I suppose it just requires the rest of us to have a little bit of a higher regard for those that are more vulnerable around us that's all we'd ask from something John Lawless. This is something that the Rotary Club came up with, which was a great idea to try and get the kids to focus on that and the biggest distraction is mobile phones as everybody knows. And if we can get the kids to make some contribution to talk to their parents from the back of the car and remind them that they shouldn't be on the phone when driving. Mm. It's very hard to define how many accidents are caused by phones, but we do know that there are a lot and it's, it's, it's reflected in the amount of tickets that are given out every year in it. So it, all we can do is keep encouraging people and we have to get it from every side and we're hoping today and now that the kids will encourage their parents to do so as well. It's only when you go to the scenes that you realise the carnage that's caused from everywhere and it, it, it affects all the emergency services but then we have to deal with families, friends, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters which is, which is a, a terrible event for everybody and it's something that we'd love to point into. And that must be something that's very hard to deal with, having to knock on somebody's door to tell them that their loved one has died in a collision. It is, and unfortunately that's what's happening, and it's happening every day, well not every day, but as you say, the numbers are up this year, and all of those people involved in that, their relations have got knocks on doors as well, which is mm. a terrible event. The work we wear is designed to actually keep, keep the carcinogenics and from smoke and heat away from us, so the suit we wear... The the actual fire kit we wear is good to 350 degrees, so it's designed to keep that, that ambient heat away from us, up and, up and including that temperature. All right, it also protects us from the carcinogenics, from burning unburnt gases and from fire and stuff like that, and the smoke that's in the air protects us from that. Along with the flash hood and the BA then allows us to go into burning buildings where the air is not conducive to actual life and allows us to breathe normally in there. Yeah, that's it, just keeps us protected. So then the truck is designed and laid out in such a way that firefighters are able to find equipment easily. Aretha, Lauren, Fia. So today we we learned that they they used breathing apparatus in a case of a fire. Um, I learned that that there's a lot of work being put into 
try and stop people from like driving with their phones in their hands and like calling people. I learned that you should always look left and right when you're crossing the road. The campaign today is about putting your phone down. Is that the message you're bringing home to your mummy and daddy? Yeah. yeah. So what do you tell your mummy and daddy? That when you're driving, if you see them driving with their phone in their hands, put it down because it might ca- cause an incident. Um, and if you ever see your parents like with their phone and they're texting, like tell them that they can do it after when they get out and stuff, and that they don't um, have to do it while they're driving. They, that person can wait. You should never drive with none hands because if the wheel goes around then you can do an accident what about your behavior in the car what should you do in the car um you should um like if you have like a tablet or anything like in the back of the car you can play on that but don't try and like um like be making a lot of noise because it can distract the driver from um what they're doing and it could cause an accident as well but also don't be like just say like balloons and stuff like don't be throwing them around because like if the driver's trying to reverse it might block the view and they could crash i say that every time you're driving please put your signal on because people don't know if you're going left or right or just straight and if like it Let's say that if you're like driving on a roundabout and nobody puts a roundabout signal on, um, they could think that you're just going straight, and it can actually cause a really bad harming thing. Philip Keegan in the station office in Paris. Maybe 13 to here, no? Yeah, I've seen a, seen a fair, fair run of uh, different emergencies uh, down through the years. Yeah, the road traffic collisions, all right, yeah, they, they can be tricky. But just, just from a simple point of view of making the scene safe for ourselves, even apart from the incident that's going on or the people that are injured or whatever else, you know, it's trying to create that safe space for us to be able to operate safely uh, and then bring whatever whatever closure to the incident we can as quickly as possible for, for that person that needs needs critical care and it's it's always a multi-agency thing which is great because because we can't do it on our own we need the we need the HSE we need the we need the paramedics arriving we need the guards then to help with the traffic management and stuff like that albeit we can do a, a good bit of it ourselves in recent years we've trained up and got people to do ETM and emergency traffic management courses but you do need the guards then to secure the scene then later and then for recovery and all that sort of stuff that's their thing and that, that type of thing so for well, a, a lot of the time uh, for for firefighters, a lot of the decompression is done on the way back in the appliance and stuff like that, where we'd have a chat ourselves and that sort of thing. And then if we feel that if we feel for whatever reason that um, firefighters need, a, we we can have either an individual council session or you can go away and we have group sessions. Men don't normally talk about stuff, but now you know the system is there in place where we do actually talk and and some of the best some of the best chats we've ever had are back in the truck or we come back and have a cup of tea and have a chat about it. Every kind of you know, it's it's a more open environment where people can actually talk about their feelings and how they feel and, and that helps too, you know.
the voices of the children of Skullwirra in Tullamore, bringing that report to a close by Sinead Hubble. Let me just name some of the Detective Lottie Parker books that have come from the pen of Patricia Gibney. The Missing Ones, The Stolen Girls, The Lost Child, No Safe Place, Tell No One, Tell Nobody, I should say, Final Betrayal, Broken Souls, Buried Angels, Silent Voices, Little Bones. That's ten, and the list goes on and on and on. And Patricia has enjoyed huge success in recent years. And well-deserved after a very difficult period in her life. How she managed to put pen to paper for the first time, and they say there's a story in all of us, so how you can do the same. That's next. Patricia Gibney, you're very welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning, Will. Thank you. We have a new book here, Little Bones, and I was just admiring a little gold circle that says over two million Lottie Parker books sold. How does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel a bit like I have this imposter syndrome, like, is it really me? <laughs> um, but I'm incredibly proud of what I've achieved so far. And um, it's all down to amazing publisher that I have, amazing agent, and so many readers who are following my Lottie Parker series. So I'm really grateful. When you were working for Westmeath County Council, you were looking out and you know, the sky was maybe grey like that. Were you daydreaming that one day you might be writing books? Um, well, I was always too busy to daydream when I was working. But I always, since I was a child, I wanted to write. And it was something that was in me. My father was always dabbling in poetry. He's written a lot of poetry. And we were always readers, you know, in our house. Um, we were read a story f- every night from a very young age. And when we could join the library, we joined the library with our little brown library cards. Mm. Um, and I always had this thing in me that I wanted to write a book. And... Real life kind of took over. Uh, you're working, you get married, you have children, and it was always kind of percolating back in the back of my mind. And I'd say about 30 years ago, I did sit down and write the full length novel, the one that will never see the light of day, as they say. Um, but I didn't get out of my system. It was just kind of percolating there in the background. So. But that first expression, the one that won't see the light of day, uh, had you trained in any way at that stage or looked at style and was it just a pure creative release? It was a creative release, I'd say, but it, would, it was a crime novel because, well, I read everything, anything get my hands on, but my first love in reading is crime. Um, and I recently found an Nancy Drew book um, at home which is 50 years old, my, my name on the inside of it. And um, so I, I've always read crime and... So Even, was there a little bit of learning by osmosis? Yes, at that time, yeah. But when I kind of got serious about it then, like after Aidan died and I went through that bad period, as you talked about, um, and I decided I needed a goal in my life and I needed to focus on something. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write the, the right one this time. And over the course of the five years that I was writing the missing ones, I did do courses. Hmm. Um, and not that you learn the craft, but you get... Um, Little insights into how you develop characters, um, structure in a novel, that type of thing. The biggest thing I learned from doing courses and people who ask me, you know, how to go about writing a book or whatever. And it is a solitary process. But if you go on courses or a writing group, you're meeting like minded people. 
because the people around you in your own circle probably think you're daft. You know, you want to write this book. But if you go into a writing course, everybody around that table have, you know, they're in the same boat as you. They understand where you're coming from. And it's that networking thing I found really, really advantageous. And I've made lifelong friends out of the, the courses that I've done. So Lottie Parker, some similarities between her path and your path. Um, how much of her has been inspired by you? Well, when I started writing Lottie, as I say, Aidan had, I think it was dead about three years at the time. And I was going through this period of my life where I couldn't, I couldn't verbalise what I was feeling. Um, I know now it was probably like part of this grieving process, but at the time I didn't know what it was. Um, I started writing the morning pages, which is like what we call now journaling. Mm. And you get all your emotions and everything onto the page. But then I started to put those emotions into my character. Um, so Lottie Parker was the widow with three teenage children. Uh, so that, that was a parallel to my life. And then she was putting all her focus into her job and trying to keep her, you know, her children happy, get them to school, make their lunches, that type of thing. And at the whole time she had this kind of, she was angry, but didn't know what was wrong with her. So they, those type of emotions that I was going through, I was able to feed into into her character. So the parallels were there. Um, but as time has gone on and with different books and that, Lottie's life is, you know, she is, to me, she's a real life character. She's not me, you know. Um, but, but she's somebody to whom you can relate. Yes, exactly. And she's like, as I said before, somebody said to me, she's one of these people that you'd love as a best friend so that you could um, give her a big hug one day and the next day you want to shake, shake some sense into her. Um, so I think a lot of people relate to her because she's very real and she's a relatable character because we all have flaws um, and she's a very flawed character. And I know it's kind of like a cliche, but it's it's the truth. It's who we are, you know. So I think people relate to our... Now, I read out the list of books since mm-hmm. 2017 and I got out of breath by <laughs> number 10. How many have you been churning out? Is it two a year, three a year? What's your rate? Yeah, well, Little Bones was published last week um, in paperback. So that's book 10. But... A few weeks prior to that, or no, November, I'd actually published, um, well, I hadn't, my publisher had published um, The Ultra Girls, which was book 13. So that's in seven years. So when I got my contract initially, it was for four books. And I was so grateful and felt so lucky that I had been offered this this contract. Um, I said, this is brilliant. And it took me five years to write the missing ones. But then I realised I have to write two books a year which was okay, I felt it was manageable, but I didn't realise the editing process that goes along with it. And that takes up time, it takes up weeks and months and whatever. So I found... Editing that you used to do or is it over and back? Over and back, mm. over and back with your publisher. So Lydia is my editor and she's, you know, you do a structural edit, you do a line edit, a copy edit. You have, because my books were ebook and, and, and print on demand initially, I had two proofreading to do of each mm. version and then you kind of cross-reference them. So there was so much work involved. Um, so I found, literally, I'd say by about the sixth or seventh book, I was burnt out. I just, and I was afraid to say no because I felt, you know, just people like give the right arm to have what I had. And I said, like, I have to be so grateful for having this opportunity. But at the same time, it was, I was just, it was killing me. I wasn't able to do it. And my agent said to me, 
you know, like you don't have to do that. You know, we go back to them and renegotiate and whatever. So now I'm on one book a year contract and that's manageable. And like I have five little grandchildren now as well. Mm. So I have all different things in my life now that I hadn't got when I got my contract for the missing ones. Um, so it's one book a year now and the paperbacks, because there's, there's a huge volume of readers who still read. They, they want the physical book and they want the paperback book. Uh, so they're about three books behind. But I think people are following the series, like they're prepared to wait. Um, oh, yeah. There's always going is, to be that healthy tension yeah, between yeah, the, a fan base and a creator mm. where we as, as consumers obviously want more and more yeah. and more. But you have to protect the quality as well. If exactly. you're getting burned out, mm-hmm. that's going to reflect in your yeah. creativity. Yeah, I find now I have more time to think, you know, and um, I can be turning ideas around in my head and I have longer time to write. So it's not all in a big rush. Um, so I I feel I've developed as a writer because at the beginning I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but now I kind of do know what I'm doing. And um, and I think it's good that readers have a choice then as well of the paperback or an e-book or an audiobook. And as I said about libraries, and this is Ireland Reads Month, and I think it's brilliant that our libraries are free. And something that readers might know is that the author will get paid for books that are borrowed in the library. So it's a very small amount, hmm. but you're supporting the author as well. Um, so I think... I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think assumed about, it was just buy. I think it's about 10 cent um, per borrow in the libraries. It's true, the public lending rights. Um, well, so, as Tesco says, every little helps. Yeah, and it's just... I think the libraries are just brilliant. And we're so lucky in Ireland that, our, that people can borrow books for free. And they're developing all the time as well. And you can borrow e-books and audiobooks. So... Um, I just want to say that if you can support your local library, do. When you're not reading and you're not writing, I was, I think it was in the Sunday Independent, a recent article said you've moved house. Yeah, I moved house recently. That's a big change. It is. It's something that I've been thinking about kind of since Aidan died. Like we bought our house together before we had children or anything. And it was a mortgage we couldn't afford, (laughs) even though two of us had good jobs. And it was like, it was just, I felt... I wanted something different. Um, it wasn't kind of start again, but I felt like my life had taken a new direction and I'm getting older and I wanted something like future-proofing as the, the buzzword nowadays, mm, mm. that I wouldn't be carting brickets in through the front door and up the steps and lighting fires and this type of thing. So um, I decided to put my house up for sale and the kids are all supportive and everything of it. And I did, I had sold my house and I moved just, just a few miles outside Mullingar. So I'm still local. And getting to know your new neighbours. Getting to know my new area and the new neighbours and getting settled in basically because I'm only there a few months. Yeah. So what fires up the creative juices? Um, Do you take breaks? Do you hike? Do no, <laughs> I like walking. Um, I do a bit of walking. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me now is that I have a deadline. <laughs> and when you have a deadline to write, it kind of makes you write it. Mm. Um, plus, I'm lucky in that I have a character and, a, you know, a core set of characters that are carrying through all the books. So I never have that blank page kind of thing or the writer's block because I can always write about Lottie and Boyd or Kirby or some of the main characters. And... I do a kind of thing, a brainstorming thing with my editor now. So we go through themes and ideas that we might have for the next book. So that's kind of germinating around in my brain. And um, then I look at loads of true crime documentaries. 
So that that's it's a kind of, form of homework. It is really, yeah. you know, and little little snippets. I'd never sit down and write a fictional account of some true crime, but from watching them, you know, little pieces of it kind of would thread in through my story because I write multi-layered plots. So there's always there's something somebody might be able to put their finger on and say, oh yeah, that's saw that on Netflix or mm. whatever. But it's never. Uh, you know, it's not a transcription of what happened in real life. It might just feed into the backstory of a character. Well, it sounds like you're able to compartmentalise. So when you are drawing inspiration, you're working. When you're with grandkids, you're with grandkids. When you're taking a holiday or whatever, you're on holiday. Yeah. They don't overlap too much. Not you, really. You can switch off. Yeah, I I, I can't compartmentalise that word. Um, I kind of use my mornings for writing. Um, I find it goes into the afternoon, I can't. Um, my eyes get tired anyhow. But I think it goes back to when I did the morning pages where you write your three pages uh, stream of consciousness. And that that has stayed with me. So you'd very rarely see me writing in an afternoon or at night time. It's always morning. Mm-hmm. So mornings are my kind of sacred time for, for writing. And then I have the rest of the day to give to my parents, my grandchildren, my children, go for a walk, do a bit of shopping, <laughs> get the groceries in, that type of thing, yeah. Finally, it sounds like you're in a good place. Yeah, I feel, I think it's the first time I'd say in the last 15 years that I could say that I'm kind of stress-free. Um, I'm happy with my writing and where it's going. Um I feel good in myself and um, things are going well at the moment. But I still always like touch wood, <laughs> you know, that, you know, what's around the corner? You always have this wife and there's always that little bit of niggly anxiety at the back of your head. Um, and social anxiety is with me is a, a terrible thing as well. But in on the really? whole... Or somebody has to go to book launches and do readings and... I know. You put on the mask? No, when I'm in the situation, I'm fine. Like, I'm here with you now, and that is, I'm just so relaxed. But I died a thousand deaths, like, for the hour before I came in oh, here. No. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for forcing yourself through that. No, it's not for... It's just, it's a thing that's in my head, and I, I just cope with it. But all in all, I would say, at the moment, now, yeah, life is good at the moment. Yeah, I'm happy. Patricia, onwards and upwards. Little Bones, widely available. It's part of the Detective Inspector Lottie Parker series. And indeed, the other books are online as well. You're up to number 13 now. Yes. This is number 10 in paperback. Take care and thank you. Thank you very much. Patricia Gibney, to your texts and in regards to the Phoenix Festival in Tullamore having to downsize and not being granted permission to hold their activity in the big top. Will... Why on earth would music festivals not be facilitated in our towns? It brings revenue and atmosphere into an area and this decision should be reconsidered, says a caller. Another person says it's a pity for Kieran and his staff. The festival will not be of the size they wanted. Nevertheless, onwards and upwards, um, we need to think big in our areas Otherwise, other towns will get the big axe. And regards to phone use, mobile phone use, and the message from Midland School Children, phone down, safe driving, Ina says, unless the laws with regard to phone usage while driving are enforced, it's not going to make much difference. By the way, Patricia Gibney, I know her, and she is the same lovely lady she always was. Regularly see her out walking, says Ina. 
Anyway, that's a selection of comments. We'll come back to some more before the end of the programme if we have time. But one last item to bring to your attention and indeed something the Gordhi will be investigating. Uh, Break-in at the office of a prominent independent TD, Deputy Carl Nolan, is on the line. Morning, Carl. Good morning, Will, and good morning to your listeners. So what happened? Well, I arrived at the office, as I always do on a Monday morning, um, early, about 10 to 10, and there was glass everywhere. The guardie were inside. Um, in fairness, they were on the spot because a, pass- a passerby had actually seen the door smashed and had reported the matter. So the guards were very quick coming down. I want to thank them for that. and I want to acknowledge the passerby also and thank him. So the guards were there and uh, the, the front door was smashed. It's unusual, obviously. It's never happened before. And it was something that caused distress to my staff. Um, but having said that, Will, we swept up the staff, we or the glass, um, we swept up the glass on the floor, we made it safe to the public and we continued as normal and undeterred. And we'll continue to represent the people of Tullamore and the wider off the area. Yeah, I should is, clarify, it yes, it, it, we're referring to your constituency office on Harbour Street yeah. in Tullamore. Was anything taken? No, absolutely nothing was touched at all. It was just the front door um, where my photograph is was smashed. Um, there's two stickers on the front doors. One has the opening hours and the other has has my picture. And uh, the one with my picture was, was smashed. And, uh, you know, which was, I suppose, a little bit unsettling in that you'd be thinking, was it intimidation? Was it, you know, it, it's hard to know the exact motive. Mm-hmm. Um, for, or was for it just happened. some random drunk going along on the Sunday night and decided to take out his or her frustration? Not sure, Will. Yeah, that's that, you know, that that's quite possible too. So it, it's just not clear, but I know the Gardaí have, have been out, as I say, and they are investigating the matter and people have been very kind and supportive and I want to thank everyone for their kind messages of support and uh, I just want to acknowledge also local business, Tullamore PVC, they were on the spot and had us sorted out very quickly with, uh, you know, um, a a replacement put in. So I just want to thank them and their staff also. And look, we're going to move on undeterred. I'm going to continue to do my job as an independent TD and I won't let this um, disrupt me or my staff uh, from doing just that. No, indeed. Well, look, regardless of politics, that's no way to take out frustrations. If that's somebody making a statement and... Maybe it was just more benign and, and random than that. But Carl Nolan, thank you very much for thank filling you, us in. Thank you. Bye Carl then. Nolan is the independent TD in Leash Offaly. Her office is on Harbour Street in Tullamore. And if you were in the area or indeed driving along and you've dash cam footage that may be useful to the Gorthy, it's being investigated at Tullamore Gartha Station. Now, some texts finally. Uh, Will... Regards to Mark's earlier comment, it is not the fault of migrants that poor Anne Delaney got into hard times. Two wrongs never make a right. Will, I am looking at the front of the Daily Mirror today and there is a photo celebrating our new Irish citizens, but no coverage of Anne Delaney from Leash dying on the streets of Dublin. Very, very sad. And another caller saying how heartbroken she is by the story of Anne, a nurse who helped so many people, fall, uh, who fell into hard times and obviously didn't get the support that she needed. 
Although we don't know the circumstances, unfortunately, as to why Anne slipped through the cracks. We did hear from the Liberty Soup Kitchen earlier that help was offered to her and for her own reasons she didn't wish to take it. And what you do in circumstances like that, I don't know. It's just tragic and it is sad and it is heartbreaking. But that is where we must leave matters for today. Thank you to Sinead Hubble for putting the programme together. Thank you very much for listening and we'll be doing it all over again tomorrow morning from nine. Stay listening to Midlands 103. Carl James is coming next with the Afternoon Show.